All right. Welcome. I'd like to get into things pretty quickly today, so I'll just leave a reminder that for anyone who is new to the show, please pause, jump back, check out the quick intro. It gives a lot of great context about what this project is really about, and you might be a little bit confused if you don't. So I I suggest anyone who's new to, to check that out. That's the intro. It's the very first episode of the show, and it's only about seven minutes long. But for those of you who are returning, just another reminder to subscribe to our Substack newsletter. That's impostorsanonymous.substack.com. We've got some supplemental content coming out on a weekly basis. So it's the best place to keep tabs on the show and, and show your support. It will always be offered for free. So that's always an option. But anyone that is really getting value from the show and feels compelled to support, that's awesome and, and obviously appreciated. But other than that, we'll jump right into it. So thanks for giving this a shot, and I hope you enjoy. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. The past is just a story we tell ourselves. Welcome to Imposters Anonymous. Danielle, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, my friend. Really excited. Yeah. Yeah, me as well. How are you feeling today? I feel, I'll say what I feel in this moment because lately it's been like a moment to moment thing. You catch me at 9 a.m. I'm like, I'm fucking awesome. And then you catch me at 3. I'm like, don't talk to me. Uh, In this moment, I feel really grounded. I very intentionally took time this morning to sleep in, which Mm. is very rare. And I cleaned and danced around my house and just took the morning really slow. So I feel really good, really relaxed and ready to open my heart a little bit. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's certainly, certainly good news. I had a bit of a slow morning myself and I always certainly appreciate those mornings where you are able to just kind of do all the little things and set your intentions right. And it certainly makes a difference. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, to kind of jump right into things, I, I know off top, you, you recently spent some time in Costa Rica that, that was quite significant to you as it seems. And I'm just kind of curious what intention you set going into that experience and and how your experience compared uh, to your expectations. Mm, I'm so glad you asked me and started with Costa Rica because I haven't you know, it's so interesting when we come back sometimes from a vacation or this was a a bigger trip, a bigger one than I've ever taken. You jump right back into day-to-day life and Mm -hmm. your routine and and your environment. And uh, I'm excited to take a little trip down memory lane. So um, for those listening, just a little bit of why I went to Costa Rica. I went to Costa Rica to lead uh, my first ever Own Your Shit immersion retreat for my current and past clients. Uh, That was the main purpose of me going there. And then I ended up traveling um, and staying in Costa Rica for about two and a half weeks after the retreat. So I was there Uh for almost a month. And what was my intention going into it? My intention going into it, I remember writing this. um, I don't know if it was on the plane or um, 
when I was there, but to crack myself open. And what I mm. meant by that was to really push myself as uh, not only a coach and as a leader, I knew that the, you know, the retreat was going to be a, a new challenge for me, but mm. to crack myself open as a human, um, I've been going through a lot of grieving. Um, as you may or may not know, I lost my brother in at the end of April and it's been, yeah. uh, it's been a lot of things, a lot of things and, um, allowing myself to be all that I am all and carry all the grief and the sadness and, and the anger and all the happiness and joy that I still feel and mm. really allow myself to show up fully and entirely and, um, to open myself to what else wanted to be present and, how that showed up or how that showed up differently. I, I definitely did a lot of that. I, I definitely cracked mm -hmm. open in a lot of different ways. And I think something that I did not expect to happen that, ex that ended up happening, I was very in my feminine essence and, you know, looking back, it kind of makes sense. I was in nature. It was, you know, I was by the beach. It was slower paced and feminine is the femininity and divine feminine as I'm learning and discovering and defining for myself is really about, um, feeling and mm. energy and essence and embodiment. And man, was I in my feminine. And what I mean mm. by that is like my days were super slow and juicy and delicious and my breaths were super deep. And it was really refreshing because here in Austin, I spend most of my time in my masculine, very go, 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 do, do, do. Mm. And it was a really beautiful, powerful reminder of how much I love feminine <laughs> Danielle. Mm. So yeah. long answer to your question, but um, yeah, it was a, a whole lot of everything I I wanted and needed and, and a lot of what I didn't know I wanted and needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was it a, a challenge to come back? It was a big challenge to come back. Yes. And I actually filmed a podcast about that on my own podcast um, why it was such a challenge transitioning back and mm -hmm. how I chose to bring some of Costa Rica back with me. And this morning was a really great example of that very intentional, slow time, you know, not running out the door first thing, understanding that being in my feminine is, um, just as boss bitch and boss babe mm -hmm. as anything else. And for somebody like me who tends to lean more on her masculine historically, I have a hard time being in my feminine. And so, you know, coming back from Costa Rica into a more masculine environment where a lot more is demanded of me and I like to fill up my schedule, I battled with these two parts of myself um, and am recognizing and, and really questioning. I love Austin and I don't know if it's a, the place that I want to stay long-term. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those questions have risen up uh, or presented themselves since I returned home. So yeah, it was, it was definitely a challenge for mm -hmm. sure. And really only I've been back now a month, uh, a little more than a month. And uh, I'm just now feeling back into my flow again. And mm -hmm. it took some time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. I wonder, I guess you say that it's it's more so your default to to lean on your on your masculine as you put it. Is that do you feel like there's a, a clear path of where that came from? Or is, do you feel like that's always, you know, since you were a kid, always kind of your temperament, or if that's something that was developed? Mm, that's a great question. I, I definitely think um it was learned. 
I do think it was learned, you know, I, I really believe that we come into this world uh, embodying both energies, masculine and feminine, and mm-hmm. we innately know when which energies need to be presented. But, you know, societal constructs and conditioning and, you know, the kind of the nature versus nurture type of type of right. conversation and the environment that I grew up in, I grew up with a very uh, masculine mom in, in the sense that she um, is very go, go, go and do, do, do. And feeling is not a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this is what we learn. This is what we see as safety. This is what we see as quote unquote, right. When we're children, we don't, we don't know anything else, but what we're absorbing and, and learning from our environments. And so it is very much learned and a huge part of my mission and a part of my journey to owning my own shit, um, mm-hmm. has been redefining, what masculinity and femininity means to me, what a lot of shit means to me, mm-hmm. um, what happiness means to me, what success means to me. And um, so, yeah, I definitely think it was learned. Um, and and I'll say too, does come very naturally to me. I feel very aligned and, and powerful when I'm in my masculine mm-hmm. state uh, and and recognizing that I've kind of always shunned my femininity as weak or I can't, you know, grow or expand or achieve if I'm being, you know, soft or touchy feely or in my mm-hmm. emotions and I'm learning that that's just a story. Um, mm-hmm. And I can rewrite that story if I choose to. And so I choose. Right. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's certainly a topic that I've gotten into a, a decent amount on this show before and i think it it takes many forms of course and so so masculine and feminine is a is a common framing but in in essence it's it, it's kind of what it means to to be in this world is to to have that push and pull and there's always going to be that uh that difficulty of finding balance and having the the drive and the intention and uh at times maybe even the ego to to move forward and to get things done and to lift up those around you, but also have the the mindfulness, the awareness, the patience to to enjoy the little things, to prioritize yourself, and yeah. and all of that. It's it's you know it's it's a lifelong challenge, and I don't think anyone ever finds a perfect balance. But you know, therein lies the the fun of it. <laughs> At least, yeah. I, think. I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I think the balance, you know, and I'm going to say that in air quotes, because like that can mean something totally different tomorrow than what it means today. And I think this is the beauty and the reminder that I like to share with, remind myself, remind my clients, remind my community, remind whoever that we are ever evolving. And, you know, maybe today I'm 60% masculine, 40% feminine, that's what I'm feeling. And then tomorrow I wake up and I'm 80% feminine and 20% masculine and allowing this energy to ebb and flow. And I was listening to a really great part podcast yesterday, um, on my run, Mark Grooves, I believe is his, um, his name and, and his guest that was on there. And I, I can't remember his name, but it was fantastic podcast. Uh, I love the way he described the masculine and feminine energies. You know, the feminine is the river. The masculine is the the rocks that, you know, shape the river, if you will. So the 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 feminine is the flow, the feeling, um, but the masculine is the structure and the awareness. And mm-hmm. so when we find that quote unquote balance, we end up creating a river. If the river didn't have 
um, structure, it would be, it would be a puddle, you know, that's mm. how he described it. And so right. uh, understanding that we need both of those energies and what the the beauty is of, of getting to know yourself is learning to tap into that innate knowing, as I mentioned earlier, which energy needs to be more present right now, which energy feels more appropriate right now uh, for me to live my fullest life and to do the things that I really want to do. Mm. Um, question for you. Yeah, sure. How do you um, how do you see your masculine and feminine energies presenting themselves in your day to day life? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think. Yeah, I maybe I'll, I'll jump back a little bit and see if I can get all the way up to the present. But I was, in in a lot of ways, raised by my mother. Uh, so I, I I had a I've always had a pretty close relationship with my mom. I'm I'm the youngest of three. And so I, I was at a time in my life, the the only one left in the house. It was just my mom and I. Um, and, and my dad was around uh, at times in, in my childhood. But again, I was I was primarily raised by my mom. We're very similar in a lot of ways. Even if you just look at us, I, I look the most like her. I think she had the strongest influence on me. So I think I always had a very strong feminine influence from the start. And I think a lot of my default temperament, I, I was always a very quiet person growing up, more of an observer, um, more on the passive side of things by nature. And I think as I as I grew up, I had to, honestly, mostly like when I, I was about 18, I went to college and I made a, a pretty conscious attempt to to be more assertive in my life and, and to you know really go for what I wanted and to to put myself out there and to challenge myself whereas my childhood was very much typified by being a bit reserved being a bit closed off uh, being a bit cautious and so now uh, I guess to jump all the way ahead I'm it definitely fluctuates a good amount. I, I will say I'm I'm married now and was married at a what many would consider a pretty young age. So obviously my wife is a very strong influence on me in my life, and I think as that relationship developed over the years, I'm just realizing how much there is to unpack here. But I, <laughs> essentially, when we first met, she was kind of the first person that I I really became vulnerable with in a, in a serious way. As I said, I was always a very closed off person. Uh, a lot of my closest friends, even to this date, don't know a lot of things that I experienced when I was young, because there was a lot of, there was a lot of things they wouldn't expect. And I grew up in an environment where I, I very much guarded my, how I was perceived. Um, and I tried to hide the ways in which I was different because mm. uh, some of them were obvious. I was, you know, a, a person of color in a in a predominantly white environment, but uh, in lots of other ways, socioeconomically, um, all sorts of ways, I just was always different. So I did my best to put up a good front. I did my best to keep things pretty close to the vest. And then when I met my wife, that was the first time that I, I really was honest about where I came from, how I grew up, um, what it was like, you know, whether it be seeing my mom 
battle cancer or my dad being in and out of jail when I was a kid, whatever it was, these just were things I never talked about. And mm. through that relationship, I, I realized that there was, I realized two things. The, maybe the most important one I realized is that once I started opening up, which I, I did with my wife in the first place, and it was long before we were ever together. Uh, we, we actually were friends for years before that. But I realized that the more I did it, Essentially, everyone has a story on mm. that you wouldn't expect. Everyone is carrying a burden that you are generally blind to. And I made the assumption at a young age that the people around me, because what I saw on the surface, I assumed that they didn't, they couldn't relate. They couldn't understand because it seemed like they had nice lives and they, uh, they had, seemed like they had more than me. It, it seemed like they couldn't understand my problems. And once I kind of opened up that floodgate of, of really acknowledging my feelings, acknowledging my experience and, and sharing that with others, I, I realized that when you do that, people, people return the favor and yeah. th that everyone has things that they don't always feel comfortable talking about. But when you're able to be vulnerable, you're able to be kind of radically honest and, and transparent as as my wife was when we first met. And that's why I opened up to her because she was mm. just very much an open book in a lot of ways. And um, so that's a very long-winded answer to to the fact that now through the influence of my wife and, and my mother, I've I've become someone who who feels quite comfortable in, in embracing that side of myself, but it, it certainly is not my default. Mm. And... Um, I certainly can can fall victim to to just putting my head down and and working my ass off and and, and doing what it what it takes to to get through things because that's kind of what I always did and yeah. it's kind of how I came up and to be fair it's it served me quite well at times and a lot of the things I've been able to accomplish in my life are because of that capacity but at the same time as we said from the start, there has to be, there has to be some ebb and flow. There has to be some balance. And yeah. as I've become more in tune with that, as I've kind of continued to dig deeper and deeper into my meditation practice and uh, even this whole project and experience in its essence, I, I feel like I've been leaning more and more towards taking things a little bit slower and keeping my ego um, uh, maybe on my shoulder, but not in front of me. And uh, yeah. so, so that's, uh, that's kind of where I am now. That was, thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. Look into, you know, your journey and, um, and what a, a balance and an exploration of your own masculine and femininity could look like. I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I appreciate you asking because it was <laughs> it was an interesting question to to answer. And um I think it's always a gift to be able to reflect on things that you don't that don't come into your field of view on the, on a regular yeah. basis. And sometimes you don't quite realize how you got where you are uh until <laughs> you until you talk about it, until you really walk yourself through it. Definitely. Um, but on that note. Uh, something I, I always like to ask people when I remember to is I'm curious if anything stands out to you as an individual uh, 
through your journey to where you are right now, in, in what way do you find yourself most commonly misunderstood? Like what, what do people reliably get wrong about you based on what they maybe see on the surface? Mm, that's a great question. Um, there's two things that popped into my mind when you shared that. I think the first one um, historically has been that I have all my shit together and that I'm always happy and positive and like on my shit and on my grind. And it's also an image that I fought very hard to keep up, uh, which led to a lot of, you know, anxiety and depression um, mm. through high school and college and, and, you know, a little bit after college until I started getting into the quote unquote work um, was I think people saw and I did a really great job of keeping up this image of like the boss bitch. I had the, you know, the good looking boyfriend and the house and I was running boot camps all over my city and I never showed vulnerability. I never mm. showed, or I would only show, you know, certain levels of vulnerability, but it was sort of manipulative and um, wasn't always the truest essence of who I was and what I was feeling and what I was experiencing because I thought it made me weak. Like, mm -hmm. You know, I grew up in a home and really grew up in a society where feelings were looked down upon and weak women um, were pushed to the wayside. And, um, you know, my mom always grew up uh, or, or raised me um, saying things like my little girl's always a winner. My little girl always comes out on top. My little girl's always going to be number yeah. one. Um, yeah. and she needs to strive for that. And so this is how I saw the world and carried myself through the world. And I think the misunderstanding that I first had with myself, which makes sense why there was a misunderstanding that the world had and my mm -hmm. friends had about me, cause I do believe it comes from us first was, um, yeah, that I had all my shit together and everything was all good. And I wasn't struggling with some of the things that many people struggle with, like anxiety, like depression, like limiting beliefs and imposter syndrome thoughts and, um, you know, that inner critic chirping in my ear. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's the first one. The second one, this has come up recently, and it's a one that I'm, um, I'm a little ashamed of. I'm not going to lie. I was sitting with this, you know, shameful feeling I was feeling yesterday. Um, I tend to be very busy. You know, I have a very busy schedule. Um, and I choose for the schedule to be busy. I like being busy. I like mm. all the hats that I wear, but you know, a friend of mine shared with me that she didn't feel like I supported, um, her the same way that she supported me. Mm. And I thought I was really supporting her, um, or, or that the word, how did she say it to me? It was specific. She didn't say that she didn't think I was present with her, but yeah, that I didn't support her in the way that she supported me. And mm -hmm. I, I think this is sometimes a misunderstanding that people have of me is that, um, when I don't have hmm, the, the time or capacity, and I want to use the word capacity, not necessarily time, because I have been very intentionally choosing what I have the capacity for. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when I have shared that recently with people, with friends of mine of like, I don't have the capacity to hold space for you right now or to hang out right now, that that's being received as I don't care or I'm better than, that they're not good enough for my time or my energy. And that's not an, at all what my intention is. And mm -hmm. I understand that intention doesn't always equal impact, right. but um, 
that, that has come up a couple times of, you know, you tell me that you don't have the capacity. Does that mean that you don't care about me? And I'm learning that one, um, I could communicate that a little bit better. Like what I mean by, I don't have the capacity and two, that I don't always have to take on other people's stories. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is when somebody feels triggered by me saying, I don't have the capacity that might be triggering, you know, abandonment issues that might be triggering. Yeah. Usually it's abandonment or, or lack of love, um, that I can comfort that story and I can honor that that's the story that's being presented for them. But I also don't have to take that story on as my own and go out of my way to prove that I'm not abandoning them and that I do love them. That was a very long answer. I don't know if any of that made sense, but <laughs> no, that's no. what's coming up. <laughs> it certainly does. Um, it's something I've been thinking about a bit recently, I guess uh, in in a, a little bit more of an abstract way, but on, on my last episode, I that I, I actually recorded on my own, I, I talk a bit about time spent and and what the value ultimately is of that, and especially in regards to other people. And it was, I guess, within the context of the quote that you're the average of, of the five people you spend the most time with. And I was just kind of reflecting on it and I won't get into it on the same level because I already spent a lot of time on it, but it does make you sort of think about the sort of intentions you put behind spending time with other people and, and how a valuable that is, but B how challenging it is to be selective on that front and to acknowledge that you can't, you can't necessarily make time and space or as you put it, have capacity for everything. And it's one of the more uncomfortable aspects of just living that you you can't give everyone all of yourself. <laughs> That's just not an option. And there's there's always going to be it's only natural for there to sometimes be imbalances in in relationships, and you can try your best to to meet people where they are and and to for there to be this quid pro quo, but at the same time, it, it can be difficult when you feel like you're giving more to a relationship than you're getting or uh, vice versa. And you can't necessarily, as you said, control how someone else feels about a relationship. And you can't even speak to how much they're bringing to it. But at the end of the day, it's still a very helpful exercise to to try to just take stock and, and take inventory of of where your time and space is going and if it's worth redistributing that or reallocating or even you know pulling back a little bit but it's i say all that to say that i think it it certainly resonates with me that that's that's something that's a challenge and that it's it's very uh subject to misunderstandings in any sort of relationship especially when you're someone who is busy and who has a lot going on and i've found myself there a lot recently where even this project itself i i was giving a lot more time to it a few months ago and, and now i've i've pulled back a little bit because i've just had to make decisions i've had other things going on i was working two jobs for a while as i transitioned out of one i had personal things going on and it's it's not that i don't care about this project right it's not that it doesn't mean something to me it's it's just that at times in life you have to there's always trade-offs and you you can't 
as I already said, you can't give 100% to everything. No, I think the only thing that you can give 100% to is yourself. And that's not always an easy decision to make, to choose you over choosing others or choosing other opportunities. And I think that is, you know, now that you said that and shared that, it kind of led me to, that's the real misunderstanding is when I choose me, um, that means, you know, other person is not good enough or valuable enough. Mm-hmm. It's n- no, it's, it's, you know, much love, but I am my first priority. And for so long, I didn't live my life that way. Everybody else and everything else was my mm-hmm. priority. And this is a really new territory to be choosing me and be very intentional in choosing me. And by choosing me, that's led to more difficult conversations, setting boundaries. Um, and even when it's hard, still coming back to honoring what is it that I need? What is it that I desire in this moment? Because ultimately, if I can give myself that, I can show up as the best version of myself mm-hmm. for the world and for my friends when I have the capacity to. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to jump back to something that I just realized maybe might might lend itself to some explanation. Uh, I know you you mentioned earlier the the general phrase of of owning your shit and mm-hmm. and obviously that's that's huge to you it's it's a big part of what you do uh, and you you talk a lot about ownership uh, as well as self acceptance and and confidence but i'm curious what what do you say to people who who struggle to own their shit as you put it without being self deprecating or or even self hating when that's something that's that's built in. Mm. What do I say to people who struggle with owning their shit? Well, I think the first thing is understanding that there is no end game, right? We're not, we're not shooting for, uh, we're not, we're not crossing a finish line. Owning your shit is a daily journey that you will ebb and flow through and experience your entire life. If you choose Mm -hmm. so if you're struggling today to own your shit it doesn't mean that tomorrow you'll still be struggling and there's a lot of beauty in that uh there are many days where it is hard for me and i struggle to own my shit there are many days where my inner critic seems to have found a fucking megaphone and is (laughs) screaming at me you know in my head and and then there are days where i'm very aware of my stories and very aware of you know the limiting beliefs and i'm and in the right energy and mindset to step in and change them. So if you're struggling, know that it ebbs and flows just like everything in life. Um, Know that it is a practice. And and this is the thing that I love. Um, It's a huge value of mine. It's a huge part of what I teach and in my programs is where is your practice arena to practice owning your shit? Do you have the friend group that is safe enough and supportive enough for you to practice owning your shit? Do you have the environment in your home, in your workplace to practice owning your shit? Because your environment is everything, your internal and your external environment. And if you're struggling to own your shit, an opportunity and an invitation is for you to look at and ask yourself the question, how is my environment supporting me in owning Mm. my shit? 
Um, I think a lot of times we overlook the power of our environment. And and yes, I am talking internal, but also external. As Mm -hmm. I mentioned, who are the people around me? Um, How is my home, you know, literally like the the things in my home, the things I'm watching, listening to, reading, uh, allowing me or not allowing me to own my shit. And then when it comes to, you know, um, I think you said, um, like self judgment, um, mm-hmm. self sabotage. I don't know if that's the exact words that you use, but um, this is part of the game, right? And and understanding and honoring that that is part of you. This I like to call her the inner critic, the self sabotage that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you don't deserve this. It's part of you for a reason. Those lim- limiting beliefs and thoughts served a purpose, even though it seems kind of counterintuitive in itself of how could a thought like I am not deserving serve me? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, that thought of I am not deserving has kept us safe in some way when we were children and we don't have to get all the way into the, you know, inner child wounds and um, inner child reconnection with it, which is also something I love to talk about and teach and explore within myself. But um, I think, uh, when is the last time you have sat down to explore, to define and to connect with what self-compassion means, what Mm. compassion means to you, what, um, celebration of self means to you, because we cannot own our shit without compassion. That, um, compassionate self-observation is the first phase of all of my programs and my own your shit method, because it is, you know, it sounds, you know, kind of corny and, I think Danielle a couple of years ago would roll her eyes of like self-love, self-compassion, like what the fuck? That's so lame. Like get out of my face. But (laughs) as I've evolved and I understand, I cannot do this work without self-compassion. You know, if you've ever heard of or or learned about the levels of consciousness, the levels and and literal energetic attachment to emotions, uh, shame, judgment, guilt, anger, apathy are some of our lowest vibrating emotions. It doesn't mean that they're bad emotions. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying. It just means that they're lower vibrating frequencies and we cannot make change from those lower vibrating frequencies. So we have to learn through self-compassion and self-love and self-acceptance and celebration how to raise our vibration, raise mm-hmm. our frequencies in order to truly change our lives. So to tie a bow around that, I would say, um, you know, A, honoring that this is a journey, that this is a practice, and B, uh, looking at what your environment, how your environment is supporting the person you wish to become, and C, redefining or building a relationship with what compassion means to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's very helpful. Um, and I, I'd like to jump back to to something that you mentioned particularly on the front of having an awareness of what once had value or, or had a purpose, uh, largely to probably the most commonly to keep oneself safe. And it, it's something I, I try to ask myself as often as possible is just, what are you, what are you trying to protect here? Mm. Uh, in, in any situation. And I ask it to myself, I ask it to others, I guess not openly per se, I ask it in my head to others often, but it is definitely maybe the easiest point or access point to empathy is to think about what someone is trying to protect 
based on their actions. And you can usually find a decent answer there, even when what someone's doing seems totally nonsensical or incredibly difficult to relate to. Uh, but obviously sometimes that gets turned inward and we feel really abstracted from ourselves and what we do. And, and it's sometimes hard to understand, like, why, why did I do that? Why do I feel that way? Why am I stuck in this rut? And of course, the default is to judge that and to to be the the inner critic or at least to listen to it. But at the same time, it can be can be so valuable to be able to really ask that question and just say, like, what what am I holding on to here? What am I trying to protect? What am I trying to not have addressed here? Uh, what what attachment am I holding on to that is driving whatever thoughts, feelings that that are arising largely out of my control and. I think even if you're looking at it, or whatever your language is, even if you're looking at it from a strictly uh, evolutionary lens, it's, you know, things, things are here for a reason. And we, we evolved to be the way that we are by nature with intent that anything that is habitual, anything that is ingrained in us is, is not haphazard. It, it didn't just come to be at random. It's, it's something that at a time served an important purpose. And so even if you're looking at it from, you know, the, the bird's eye view of, of us as a species or just on the individual personal level of, okay, at one point in my life, it was really important for me to protect this aspect of myself. So I, I developed this habit. I developed this thought pattern because when I was a kid, this really helped. And, and I got through that. And that's and maybe I use this word loosely, but something to be proud of. I, I often think that Absolutely. whatever it took to get through something, uh, if it got you to where you are now, there's there's something to at least respect about that, even if it's it's something that now seems very difficult to deal with and 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 not useful. But yeah, yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Um, you know, and even asking that question, which I love that question, what am I trying to protect or what do I think this person's trying to connect? I would recommend asking that person um, specifically and, and maybe right. not assuming what you think they're trying to protect. But in asking that question itself, you shift your lens from judgment to curiosity. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, if there's anything else I can add to somebody who's struggling to own their shit is shift into the lens of curiosity. Look at yourself, look at your world with your curiosity glasses on. And mm -hmm. by you asking yourself that question, that's exactly what you're doing is you're getting curious about why you feel the way you feel, why you're showing up the way you're showing up instead of, you know, I'm such a fucking idiot or I suck. It's like, hmm, I don't love the way I showed up right there. Let me, let me look at that for a second. Let me, you know, again, I love that question. What am I trying to protect or what is a need that's not being met? We have very mm -hmm. foundational human needs that I think most of our shit comes down to, oh, yeah. you know, like, you know, I, I give the example a lot of, um, I have historically been a very jealous person with my friends, especially my female friends having a really hard time celebrating their success. And what was under that jealousy and is under that jealousy is, you know, a fear of not being good enough and a fear of being ab abandoned mm -hmm. and those very basic child needs to be seen, to be loved, to be heard and to be safe is usually at the root of these like massed emotions a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I love that 
it takes courage. It takes bravery to ask yourself that question. And I think remembering that the inner child, the the young, you know, four, five, six, seven-year-old version of us still lives inside. Mm-hmm. It's still it's still here. It didn't go anywhere just because our meat suit got bigger and got older. Right. That that still lives here. And so, you know, that's why I focus a lot on inner child. Not necessarily, I mean, yes, we do a lot of inner child healing, but just inner child reconnecting, mm-hmm. reconnection, building a relationship again with that version of yourself because they have so much to share and so much information and insight as to why we are the way we are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just remembered I was going to ask earlier, specifically in regards to the the Costa Rica retreat, and it just kind of came back up based on some of your um, some of your verbiage in, in that last um, in response to that last question. But uh, I'm just curious: have you do you have any experience with with plant medicine or, or psychedelics? Uh, I have a little bit of experience with psychedelics. Um, a little bit of experience with plant medicine. It's something I am slowly uh, opening myself to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had, I've definitely had some resistance towards it for, I think, some obvious reasons and maybe some not obvious reasons. Um, I did a very, for me, very heavy mushroom trip um, a year ago now that was very intentional for inner child healing and reconnection and just a mm-hmm. deeper awareness of self. Um, it rocked me to my core so much so that I haven't done something like that since Mm -hmm. and not in a bad way. It was just, um, I needed a lot of time to process Mm -hmm. and my ego is scared shitless to ever go into something like that again. And I recognize that. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of plant medicine, um, I've done a little bit of peyote when I was in Costa Rica, um, and ayahuasca has been calling me, but it's not something that I felt the need or desire to rush into. And I think mm-hmm. some of that resistance and hesitation is, um, especially here in Austin, uh, you hear people left and right talking about ayahuasca. And, yeah, bro, have you ever have you done ayahuasca? Like mm-hmm. next step on your healing <laughs> journey. Sure. And you know, I think there's a lot of spiritual egotism that um, I recognize in a, in a lot of my peers, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can be such a beautiful tool if you're ready for it. And right. I, I, I have not been ready for it. And that's okay. And I felt my ego being like, oh, we should just do it. We'll be fine. But my heart being like, dude, we're not ready. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. It's not something I need to check off my spiritual growth checklist. You know, it's, right. it's something that, you know, I have been feeling more and more called to. Um, I'm actually going back to Costa Rica uh, late November, early December uh, for that specific reason and ayahuasca ceremony and a lot of plant medicine. Um, again, long answer to your question, but mm-hmm. that's my experience. Yeah. Yeah. It was largely just a point of curiosity because I feel like a lot of a lot of the words being used um, – typically are very much applied, uh, at least in regards to the unique application of all kinds of, of psychedelics and implant medicine and then the sort of work that, that can be done with them. But I think you bring up a very important point, which I think doesn't get talked about enough, generally speaking, and maybe you've heard me speak about it before, maybe not, but psychedelics used to be a pretty pretty significant part of my life, and it's it's been quite some time since I've dipped my toe in that water um, for somewhat different reasons, but somewhat similar. And and I think you have to have a very, very healthy respect for anything on that spectrum. 
and I've, I've certainly overshot it before to, to put it simply. Um, and I, I also, and I guess it, it gets a little bit complicated, but essentially in the past year or two, since I've, I've gained a new perspective on many things through some experiences with my brother, which I've talked about a little bit before on the podcast, but he, he recently had a, a psychotic break, um, uh, about two or three years ago now. And, and life has been very different since then in, in many, many ways for me personally and for my family, but also just in regards to how I think about any sort of mind altering substance. And, uh, not that it has to do anything with his experience, but, a, simply from a genetic standpoint, uh, it puts me in a, a risk category that I didn't realize I was in. Um, but also, it, 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 you can't help but have a different perspective on anything on that front once you have someone very close to you go through an experience like that and, and be in a, you know, I guess, somewhat permanent state in that regard that it, it changes the the way in which you i guess even value your your normal conscious state and any sort of desire to be outside of that and i think it just makes you a little bit more uh, aware of the risks as well as have a sense of gratitude for um i guess what i do have by nature and what i easily could have not had based on virtual genetic anomalies so it's it's something I still talk about a lot, and I'm incredibly fascinated by the the research, the application, and something that I, I always encourage people to learn more about, and I really enjoy having conversations about. But at the same time, it's it's not something that I'm ever going to do again in a in a real, um, I guess, significant dose, if you will, just because it it doesn't make sense for me anymore. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess what I was ultimately getting to there was just the the perspective that some tend to have in that space in regards to it it kind of being a notch on your belt or a yep. uh, a stepping stone to somewhere. I, I always like the the phrase, I'm not really sure where I got it from, but it's it's kind of like taking a you know an elevator to everest. and there's there's certainly value there because it allows you to see what is possible. It allows you to see what you are capable of, what what your consciousness maybe is more so at base and the sorts of states that, that can be achieved naturally. But it's it's still an elevator in a way, and it's not that you couldn't get there without it, but mm. some people need that to see that it's possible. Uh, some yeah. people need that as a, as an initial step to be able to do all of this other work um, and to believe that there's something else out there. There's another way of being. There's there's a curiosity and a sense of possibility that wouldn't otherwise be there. But at the end of the day, there's a there's a difference between climbing Everest and and shooting up there uh, by force. So I love that analogy. Yeah, I I, I'm, I really wish I could remember who said it to me first to give them some credit, no, it but makes it makes a lot of sense, and it, I think you know, especially being here, I've been in Austin a little more than a year now, and 
you know, I've been exposed to things I've never been exposed to before, more opportunities to do plant medicine and other types of drugs than ever before, more people who have experience with them on way higher levels than I do than ever before. And it is easy to, it has been easy for me and I'll speak just for myself to get caught up in, oh, that's the thing I need to do to get myself to the next level. Mm -hmm. That's the thing I need to do. If this coach or guru is doing it, then that must be the path I need to take. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I believe what you just shared, it just, I'm going to say it in, in my own paraphrase way is, um, we have all of our answers. We have all of our own answers. And mm -hmm. I know that's really corny and probably heard it before. And, um, again, something I used to roll my eyes at, but it really is true. We just don't, I just, I believe we just don't always give ourselves the opportunity to find those answers. You know, we live in a world of quick validation and gratification and I want things here and now. And there's a lot mm -hmm. of elevators, you know, I feel like oh, yeah. to Everest <laughs> in, in different senses. Um, and I think those that are patient with themselves, are committed enough to themselves to find the answer in the way that feels best for them are the ones that reap the, the biggest rewards. And, you know, psychedelics, plant medicine is not just something to mess with. These have been sacred practices and sacred medicines for thousands upon thousands of years for a reason. And only really recently have they been more, um, westernized and more public mm. and and uh i mean for lack of a better term whitewashed a lot of these things oh, yeah. and there's a danger to that there's a danger to that so yeah I, I love what you shared just really checking in with yourself and being honest with yourself is this something i'm ready for am i in a safe you know mental space uh emotional space am i in a safe container when i'm doing these plant medicines like i will never do you know i've tripped um, I think two times when I was in high school, just like being mm. silly with my friends and oh, it was yeah. the worst experience ever. Mm. It was horrible. I, you know, there was no intention behind it. There was no safety container. I was terrified out of my mind because I wasn't aware of what was happening and never again will I do, if I choose to do more psychedelics or plant medicines, will I do it in a container like that? Um, because my healing and, you know, my, my trust in myself is just too important to me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I certainly can relate. I, yeah. I, I've been there, uh, many times and again, I, it's, it's something that I, I have to have some gratitude for that. I'm just someone who was lucky enough to be someone that could have been as reckless as I've been in my life on various fronts and, and to come out of it relatively unscathed. Um, yeah. and to be able to acknowledge that that's mostly a, a matter of luck and not anything that, I can really own, um, but it but it is something that is is a part of my journey and, and is a part of who I am now. And again, it's I, I have this not even conflicting but just complicated relationship with with psychedelics because I I think they're more promising maybe than anything else in regards to the therapeutic application and, and what they're doing with maps and and John Hopkins the research that they're doing for. Treatment resistant, treatment resistant depression and PTSD and, and all sorts of they they have a breakthrough uh, status right now with MDMA uh, in regards to PTSD and I it's it's very exciting it's something I care about a lot and it's something that I feel like we need so badly in regards to the I guess I can say crisis we're experiencing on a mental health front. Uh, 
in this country and, and in this whole world, really, that it, this isn't a sustainable trend that, that, that we're facing. And our tools that we have at our fingertips right now are just not serving us well as far as things that are approved clinically speaking. And so people are having to explore by themselves and, and to try to figure out things on their own. And that's, that's difficult and discouraging. And so I'm, I'm very hopeful that the very safe and therapeutic and controlled uses of, of some of these uh, compounds will, will soon be approved and, and will be very meaningful. But at the same time, it's still just something that, again, isn't actively a part of my life anymore, but I still can very much thank it for what it has done for me because it's it's changed me in so many ways and, and I've learned so much from it. And I don't think I'd be where I am right now in regards to other practices and, and tools that I now use that, that don't necessarily involve um, ingesting a, a, a foreign substance that I, I don't think I'd be as interested in these things. I don't think I would have the perspective that I do. So it's it all has to be taken with a grain of salt, but it's it's always something I like to talk about when I when I get the yeah. chance. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate you sharing. And I know it can be a complicated complicated topic for some, but to make a little bit of a of a hard pivot here, um, I'm curious what role movement plays in your life, and is there something to be said about being focused on the, let's just say functional capacity of our bodies as, as opposed to the aesthetics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is a loaded question. The role that movement plays in my life. Um, movement is my, <clears throat> movement is my, most natural form of expression. And I, I really believe it's all of our mo most natural forms of expression. Um, and, you know, when you say movement, I think a little while ago, I would have thought of, you know, working out because that's a big part of my life. But when I think of movement now, I think of movement in all the capacities, dance, animal flow, lifting weights, um, shaking my body, screaming, singing, moving energy, movement, is, is is expression of self. And that's the role that it's played, even though I couldn't articulate that when I first uh, really got into movement, intentional movement, I should say, I played sports my whole life, but, um, you know, there wasn't a super deep intention behind it. Movement has allowed me to process, allowed me to, people ask me if I, me I meditate and I'm like, yeah, I, I work out, you know, movement is my, mm -hmm. is my moving meditation. Um, and, and as I said, is, uh, is my form of expression. You know, there's days like, you know, we started talking about the masculine and the feminine. There are days where I'm in my masculine, where I'm going to go, you know, deadlift 225 and, and lift mm -hmm. heavy weights and slam some kettlebells and, you know, fuck shit up. <laughs> and then there are days where uh, my energy is, you know, more feminine and soft and I want to dance. I want to sing. I want to roll around on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and it has allowed me to embody who I am at my fullest. Um, and then you asked, what was your second part of your question of 
Oh yeah. The, the second part was essentially, I guess I was just curious to get your perspective on being focused on the functional capacity of our bodies versus the aesthetic aspect that I think is drives a lot of the more conventional, uh, application in industry around it. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you're asking this. The way I see it now is the aesthetic based fitness. And this is my opinion, take this with a grain of salt, those of you listening, but um, the the aesthetic based fitness approaches are a bandaid, a bandaid to much deeper rooted um, pain and uh, desire for expression and need for love. And I'll explain why I feel that way when I found the gym, like I'd mentioned, I'd played sports my whole life. I was a cheerleader. I ran track. I danced. I played a little bit of flag football. I was always active, always into sports. And when I got to college, um, I found the gym for the first time and I found the gym and, and I was always very little. I was very petite growing up. I, you know, was one of those kids that had to drink Pediasure all through high school because I needed to gain weight. Um, and uh, I really disliked my body. I really disliked how fragile I looked. I really disliked how people would always make comments about how little I was and oh, these little, my mom would would always come and grab my arms and be like, oh, these little ballerina arms, where did you get these from? And now I flex at her and I'm like, you know, I have a lot more muscle now and I flex at her. I'm like, ha, mom, there's no ballerina arms here. These are swole ass arms now. Um, But I, I, I found the gym and used the gym um, as a way to feel better about myself. And I thought that getting the body of my dreams was going to bring me the level of confidence and fulfillment and happiness. I didn't know I was looking for, but realized I was looking for once I got the body of my dreams and the confidence, happiness, and fulfillment didn't come with it. Not the level that I was looking for at least. And now this is not to knock, you know, obviously when you feel good about your body, Um, it has ripple effects on other areas of your life. I'm not saying that if you go to the gym um, to get a bigger butt or stronger arms or a flatter stomach or, you know, it's aesthetic based that that you're wrong or that it's bad. Mm -hmm. Not at all. I I, I love my body now and I'm happy with the muscles that I've built and, and all of those things. But my question for those of you listening is, is it something deeper than that? Are you, you know, why do you want to have a specific body? And again, when I was in college and after college, I started to ask myself these questions because I got the body. People were commenting on my body left and right. And, oh my God, I want to build a butt like you. And, oh, your arms got so much stronger and your legs. And how do I do that? Yet I couldn't look at myself in the mirror when I went home at night. Mm -hmm. Everybody was praising me for this lifestyle I was living and how good I looked, but why did I still feel like shit inside? And so, you know, this is, I'm, I'm talking a little bit more now on going deeper, the aesthetics into more of the self-healing, but the functionality piece of movement, reconnecting with my body in a way that um, really showed me my true power. I teach, a, you know, an experience in a class called primal play that reconnects people to their primal essence, their inner child, their playful side, because this is the essence of who we are. And when we can tack tap into, you were asking, you know, aesthetic versus functional. Um, I've learned and reconnected to the power of my body and the magic that my body is able to create. You know, our bodies are incredible pieces of machinery 
um, that we overlook so much, the, mm-hmm. the capacity for our bodies to do really amazing things and move in really amazing ways is really diminished by our lifestyle, by the cell phones, by the constant sitting, by the constant consumption of information, by the disconnection to nature. And um, man, do I encourage people to get out of a gym and start moving their bodies in nature, start walking barefoot, start crawling on the ground, start moving our, your body again in the way that it was meant to. Our bodies were meant to be sustainable and pushed to their capacity. That's how mm-hmm. we survived. Right. So again, I was always a long winded <laughs> answer to your question. Um, I don't know if I answered that entirely, but I am, my focus is, so much more functional than it is aesthetic. And the cool part is that the aesthetics has have come the more functional I am, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that, that I, I've been in a few conversations about recently. And, and I think it's, it's not without intention, kind of, as I was saying before, from an evolutionary standpoint, it's, I think our, we, in theory, look and feel our best when we are functionally able and at our, our optimal health, that it, it's no coincidence that these things kind of coincide, that if you are able to prioritize function or, or health or these things that are more primal, as you put it, the, the other things will come that, that people tend to be drawn to, I guess, movement broadly for. And I think sometimes it's it's the longer route, it's the longer game to play, and that's what can sometimes be discouraging for others is is that sometimes to to really build functional strength, whether it's physical or emotional or mental or whatever it is, it's you're playing a longer game and you're you're having to be patient and you're having to really invest in yourself. And for some people that's, that's very uncomfortable. It is, it is. We, you know, again, going back to just what does society paint the picture of these, you know, quick 30 minute workouts, or uh, you can get abs in seven minutes and, you Mm -hmm. know, get the six pack. And again, those things are great. You know, yeah, I, I want, I want muscles and um, I want, yeah, I want muscles, but but deeper in that, why is it that I want it? And what I realized when I asked myself that question, it was tied to external validation. I wanted to be seen. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be heard. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be valued. And if that is the reason driving me to go to the gym, it's not healthy. I'm I'm relying upon external factors. And so how can I give myself that love? How can I give myself that acceptance? Um, and that safety that I'm looking for really in other people and remembering that, um, again, our bodies are meant to move in such incredible ways and are meant to move well for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. Right. And we Mm -hmm. live in a society that, you know, by 50 people are like, Oh, everything hurts and shit. Not even by 50, by like 35. I have a client that's like, it sucks getting old. I'm like, you're 37. What are you talking about? Um, that's not how it's supposed to be. And if we were in nature and we were breathing better and we were eating whole foods and we were getting adequate sunlight, um, and nature therapy that we wouldn't be feeling a lot of the things that we're feeling. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot easier said than done, but it, it is, it is very significant to, to do these things and it's unfortunate. And I think you spoke to this in a slightly different way earlier that the environment that we are largely put in these days is just not conducive to any of that. And it's, it's often helpful to be able to look to the environment and say, okay, what, what can be changed? What can I control in this scenario? But in a lot of ways we are set up to fail uh, based on the trajectory that society has taken. And it, it takes a lot of conscious effort to step outside of that and to do something different. And uh, as I said, that's much easier said than done, but I think often just taking it one step at a time as, as corny as that sounds, approaching it from one angle to start and just say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to go for a walk today. You know, (laughs) I'm going to try to, you know, instead of just working through lunch, I'm going to, I'm going to get up for 10 minutes and, and just be outside. And for me, that's honestly pretty anecdotal. It's something I try to do. And I always, every time I do it, I'm like, geez, like, why don't I, (laughs) like, I work from home. I could, I could get up and my schedule is flexible. And because it's my default, sometimes I'll just work through the entire day. Otherwise, you know, I'll, I'll sit at my desk and I'll power through, but the difference of, of just, you know, stepping outside for a few minutes is, is so meaningful, which is, is also very encouraging to know, like, okay, if you, if you did this a few times a day, or if you made efforts on, on other smaller fronts that, that there really is so much to be gained there and you, you never really regret it once you, you make time and space for these things that are quite natural and that that feel right and are intrinsically rewarding you they will stick with time but it's you just kind of have to you have to question yourself you have to push back and and you have to do things that often seem a little bit weird or strange or uh i guess counterintuitively counterintuitively unnatural these days because of how our environments are are set up Yeah. Yeah. You make, you know, you make a really great point that I just want to emphasize. Like we mentioned this work is lifelong. It's not easy. Um, that's why few people decide to, to do it and do it all the way because we do live in an environment that tells us a lot of, uh, or, or, or presents what seems like a lot more obstacles, um, than opportunities to live a healthy lifestyle. And it takes discipline. Uh, it takes planning and it takes commitment to yourself um, and belief in yourself enough to show up a little bit differently. And then the other thing that you shared that I love is that nobody's asking you to wake up tomorrow and change everything about your life. But if there's one thing that you could get 1% better at, 1% healthier at tomorrow, or shit after you listen to this podcast, what is it? Um, and maybe that is, like you said, going for a walk. Maybe it is the glass of water in the morning and you start there and you build from there. Maybe it is not watching the Netflix right before you go to sleep so that your brain is not wired and your nervous system isn't, you know, bouncing off the wall. Um, looking at your world from that lens and remembering that you always have the power of choice, um, and that it can be fun. You can make these things enjoyable. You can make these lifestyle changes enjoyable and entertaining. And I'm looking at a stack of books I'm about to send out today. One of my favorite authors, James Clear, wrote the book Atomic Habits. And he talks mm-hmm. about this in his book, just how, you know, the four laws, how do I make it 
obvious? How do I make it sustainable? How do I make it enjoyable? How do I make it attractive? And so asking yourself, how do I do th- those things for the, the the areas of my life, the habits in my life that I want to, um, that I want to improve upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll certainly link that in the show notes. It's one I, I haven't gotten around to reading myself, but I've, I've had referred to me more than once at this point. So I'll, I'll certainly link it so that those who haven't can, can check it out and, and maybe fantastic read. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've certainly heard, but yeah, one one other thing that I'm curious about, I know we've gotten into it a little bit, but I think at least on the surface, it's clear that you've, to most people, you would say that you've done pretty well for yourself on, on, on a few fronts, whether you say physically, mentally, um, career-wise, whatever it may be, you've, you've clearly put in a lot of work. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm curious if at any point, in, in your journey to where you are now that you feel like there was a distinct moment or reflection or even accomplishment where you feel like you arrived and, and really came into yourself as you are now? Or do you still on some level struggle to feel like you deserve to be where you are or, or do what you do? Um, yeah, I definitely still struggle uh with that, it's a constant reminder every day, the work, you know, owning your shit is a day in day out commitment. And there are many times where I have fallen trapped to imposter syndrome, fallen trapped to comparing myself to people around me and what they're doing. Um, have had to work through the limiting belief that I'm not deserving of success. I'm not deserving of, of love. And that all stems from my childhood. And there have been many moments where I've stepped into my fullest power. And I think the most recent example of that was at the retreat, leading these 10 women, uh, for a week in Costa Rica through all these different workshops, all these different, um, practices and activities that have helped me come home to myself and feeling so qualified to teach it so qualified to lead it, so excited to be there and leading it. Um, but, and at the same time, I still have all of those thoughts. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think we, we ever outrun our humanness. Uh, we only learn to live above our humanness and I'm so corny. I'm stealing the quote from Dr. Strange when the ancient one says, you know, we never lose our demons, we only learn to live above them. And I really Mm -hmm. believe in that, not that our, you know, inner critic beliefs and limiting beliefs are demons. Um, They're what I like to look at is they're humanists, they're human qualities and, and the part of the human experience. And uh, no matter how much work I do on myself, I don't think I'll ever lose those human qualities, because that's what makes me a human. But as I continue to do this work, I learn more and more, and I practice more and more living above them. And what I mean by that is being able to observe that they're there, be able to honor that they're there, and choose whether or not I want to believe them. Um, You know, I definitely had some imposter syndrome pop up when I was leading the retreat of, oh my God, in our Fuck Your Fears workshop, am I qualified to be teaching these things? Because I still have fear. Um, Or when we're talking about limiting beliefs, like, well, I still have limiting beliefs. Am I qualified to teach this? And understanding that these are really natural thoughts to come up, especially when I'm pushing myself outside my comfort zone. My inner critic and my ego are fearful of change. That's 
that's a huge part of their role is to keep us safe. And so when I'm about to do something that seems unsafe to my ego or unsafe to my inner critic, because it's new, mm. bet your ass they're going to be louder than they were, you know, a few minutes ago, they're going to be, you know, stepping up their game to try to keep me where I am. And, you know, my heart always knows the answer and always knows the way to guide me back to, um, what is, what is really true for me. And that, that's a, that's a day in day out practice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a full-time job. Um but yeah, it's it's something that it kind of reminds me of a question that I find myself asking people more and more often these days even just in conversation because I know it's it's been a I guess for lack of a better term, a strange year or two for a lot of people. And I'm curious, and, and I know for you specifically, you've you've dealt with a lot. You've, as you mentioned, you've dealt with some loss, and I'm curious on on any front how you feel like your sense of self has has changed over the past year, and and how you approach the world, and, and even just your place in it. Hmm. Whew. Loaded question heavy question for a number of reasons. Um, yeah, like obviously COVID has sucked, right? I, I don't, I don't know anybody that has been like, yeah, COVID has been awesome. That in itself has been just watching our world change, um, watching so many people suffer, um, watching. Yeah. That, that in itself has been, uh, extremely challenging. Um, losing my grandma, uh, the end of this month, it will be a year losing my brother. Um, it has been the most challenging year of, of my life and it has required me. And, um, what I now see as an opportunity, but didn't at the time, but it has required me to look at myself in the mirror in ways I had never looked at myself before. I thought I had been owning my shit before my grandma passed, before my brother passed. And I have not owned my shit anywhere close to the way that I've owned my shit specifically in the last five months. Um, how I have shown up more as myself is showing up in all of all of me, uh, allowing myself to feel all of my feelings and emotions, not hide a single one of them. Uh, to honor and celebrate all of them as truth, as worthy, as um, deserving of having a seat at my table. Um, and that has only allowed me to further give and teach and support my clients doing the same thing. Um, yeah, I feel like we could probably spend an entire podcast episode just on this one question. But this last year has shown me um, how much I know and how little I know at the same time. Um, that was a huge lesson, uh, when my brother Zachary passed away and has been a reminding lesson, um, that I know everything and nothing at the same time. And that, mm -hmm. you know, losing him so suddenly shattered me to my core. And, um, there are moments, you know, that I am wake up shattered, fresh every day. Mm -hmm. Yesterday was one of those days where I woke up as if it, I was finding out about it for the first time all over again. Mm -hmm. And it has been a big reminder that the work is not linear. 
my growth is not linear, my success, my happiness is not linear, that humanness is all along the spectrum and it's my choice to embrace it or resist it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to stop that there. That's a very long, deep question. I feel like I could probably dive into for a lot longer, but, um, it has allowed me to see myself fully mm. in, in all that I feel and to know that it's okay to feel all of the things and none of the things at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, first off really do appreciate you answering that at all because i i know it was a, a very big question and to to graciously answer it is is no small task um on in a lot of ways though though quite different i i i can relate and it's i've had to deal with some loss and and some different and, and more abstract ways in the past year or two but i again really just appreciate you being open enough to to speak to your experience and and to approach it at all and, and even to be here today for this conversation it it really has been a pleasure and i i think where what you've just spoken to is is something good to kind of wrap up on um but as in the name of balance as we've talked about a bit today i'd like to end on a on a more lighthearted note and uh I'm just curious, something that you maybe don't talk about much or that you don't acknowledge much that you are grateful for. Hmm. I am really grateful for my commitment to myself. Um, I don't think I give myself enough credit for the work that I do. Um, I'm really, really, really grateful for the commitment I have chosen to make to myself and one that I will continue to make um, over and over again. Um, yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be my one. I'm very grateful on something that I I don't talk about a lot and I don't, you know, as much as I teach people and encourage people to praise themselves, um, I I think I struggle to praise myself, mm -hmm. and so I'm gonna I'm gonna praise me a little bit. That's what I'm really grateful for. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a big one. I love that. But yeah, again, I I really appreciate you. You've you've brought a lot of value to my audience into the show today. I love what you're doing and, and would certainly like to take a moment to acknowledge your work, the Own Your Shit podcast, as as I believe you said, is yep. is your project you've been working on. And yeah, if you'd like to speak to it at all or let people know where they can find it, I, I certainly would advise checking it out because you've you've really done a lot for us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's been an honor to be here. Um yeah, I would love for those of you that resonated or want to learn more. I have a my own podcast, as Brandon mentioned, the Own Your Ship podcast on Apple and Spotify and probably some other platforms, but those are the two main ones. And it's basically owning your shit on the go, opportunities for you to um, really hear my humanness. I do a lot of solo episodes and about once or twice a month, I bring in a guest 
to talk about all the different ways that owning your ship plays a role in our lives and um, the power of taking ownership. And and if we want to experience radical transformation, uh, it has to, excuse me, it has to start by taking ownership. So um, yeah, definitely give it a listen. Let me know what you think. Uh, you can also always contact me through Instagram at Danielle Gertner or on my website, daniellegertner.com. I have a pretty bomb ass email list. And I'll say that with a little bit of cockiness, just because I really love connecting with my email audience. And, you know, I share, I think, uh, what I love most about what I do through the podcast, through the website, through the email list, through my own your shit self mastery program is I'm owning my shit right alongside you. And that's a lot of what the podcast is. And a lot of what the email list is, is me sharing the ways in which I am owning my shit. You know, I experienced jealousy. This is how I worked through it. I'm experiencing imposter syndrome. This is how I worked through it. Here's where I'm not owning my shit and why I'm struggling. And so, um, would love for you to join me on the journey so we can make the world a, a better place. I really believe if we had more people owning their shit, we'd live in a happier world for sure. Yeah. Well said. Well, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll link all that in, in the show notes as well to make that accessible awesome. for people. Um, but yeah, again, thank you for doing this. Your perspective really has been valuable and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Definitely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for listening. <laughs>